now, God. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for your protection over Rosalind, God, and in preserving her life. And God, we once again, as we prayed in our membership class, we just lift her before you. God, I speak peace to her heart and her spirit. God, I pray that she would know that you are with her, Lord, and that you would, again, grant favor with this insurance company, Lord, and with all the details that need to be sorted out, Lord, and that she would feel your support and your strength uh, during this time. And, and, God, that you would help us as a community uh, to be extensions of your love towards her as well. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. So, again, keep Rosalind in prayer and be on the alert for a text or an email that might give you more information. Uh, pray this after me. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and a will to obey. Your word today in Yeshua's name. So we are in the middle of a series entitled, Is God Seeking You? And today I'm going to talk about what is worship. Uh, this series is about a lifestyle of worship, and it's based on this verse uh, found in the New Covenant, Yochanan, John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, where Yeshua says, But an hour is coming, and it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people as his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So last week, Rabbi Michael uh, shared with us that there were three elements <clears throat> that were necessary for us to enter into the presence of Adonai. <clears throat> those were thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And he shared about those first two in his message, stating that thanksgiving is more than expressing gratitude for what God has done, although that's important. But more than that, it's a heart that is grateful to be able to enter into the presence of Adonai. In fact, as we were discussing this series and we were talking about thanksgiving, I remember my husband said, you know, uh, grumbling and complaining, which is the opposite of thanksgiving, closes the door while thanksgiving opens the door. So that's a good little imagery that I have in my mind from our discussion. And then he shared that praise is something we do to acknowledge God, to acknowledge his greatness and the greatness of his deeds. So today I want to look at that third element necessary to enter the presence of Adonai, worship, which is the overall uh, theme of what we're talking about. And sometimes people think the difference between praise and worship has to do with the tempo rhythm or the loudness of the music. They think praise is upbeat while worship is slower music. Uh, but praise, again, recognizes his works while worship honors him as God. And we need to practice thanksgiving and praise as we desire to worship to enter into his presence. And um, they open up the door for that worship. And all three together, again, bring the manifest presence of God into our lives. And even though we're dividing these up and talking about them separate, there really is a lot of overlap, you know, and all three together, again, convey the whole concept of worship as a topic. So I don't want you to think, you know, oh, it's so strict. There's a lot of overlap and they flow together. The most important thing is we want to practice these things because we want to see the manifest presence of God because that presence brings breakthrough into our lives. It brings release. It brings hope. 
it brings deliverance, it brings supernatural miracles and healings, and we'll be talking about that part next week. And I want to live in that manifest presence, and I pray that as a result of this message, you would be stirred and desirous to do the same. My husband and I hope that you will take this word, and as we prayed at the beginning, see it, hear it, and live it out, and see a difference in your life. So God wants to bring each of us uh, to a new level in his relationship with him. And when I uh, introduced this series a couple weeks ago, I talked about how worship is not a form or style. You know, uh, each congregation has its own unique style and form, and uh, there are many ways to to worship God. And uh, I shared these uh, five things in a general sense of what worship was about. It's focused on God. It occurs when I discipline my thought, emotions, and will. It's a life of obedience. It's done through the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, and it's where my spirit connects with God. And it is not confined to the four walls of this congregation or any congregation. Uh, It really is a lifestyle, and I hope that would just be something that gets into your kishkas that you understand you know, because we often talk about, oh, I'm going to worship now. And again, there's that set time, even as we're talking about prayer in our uh, membership class. You know, we have those set times of, okay, it's just me and I'm praying or a congregation praying together. Uh, but prayer is something that should be a, a continual. It says pray continually, right, throughout the day. And so worship is a lifestyle. So it's something we should be doing uh, through, throughout the day. But we are focusing on this corporate type of worship or personal time where we set a time aside. And so with that in mind, I just want to encourage us again on what it means to worship God. It means to honor him. In both the Hebrew and Greek, the main word used for worship, histachave uh, in Hebrew, proskuneo in Greek, means to bow down or to prostrate oneself in the presence of another showing respect. Uh, it, it has the connotation of humility, and it's also this act of appealing to one who has greater authority uh, as you are seeking their intervention on your behalf. Uh, it's used when Abraham bowed before the sons of Chet because he was desirous to find a place to bury his wife, Sarah, and they were the ones who could grant him that that wish. It was used of Joseph's brothers, when they came down to Egypt, and they didn't recognize Joseph, but they understood he was a man of power. And it says that they bowed down before him, recognizing that he was the one who could grant their request for food to sustain them and their family. The psalmist says in Tehillim, Psalm 95, verse 6 and 7, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before Adonai, who made us. For he is our God, and we are the people in his pasture, the sheep in his care. So we honor God because he is our maker, and he is our creator. And even in the Haftorah, where God spoke to Yirmiyahu, to Jeremiah, and he said, Before I was in your, your mother's womb, I knew you, and I created you for a purpose and a reason. And, and, and God knew each of us, you know. Uh, and he knew us intimately, and he, all of our days are ordered before him. And as we said at the beginning of this series, every one of us were created to worship. And we are all worshiping something or someone in our lives. And God wants to challenge us to, 
to make it him that we worship. But rest assured, you are worshiping something or someone in your life. And God is saying, I'm your maker. I'm your creator. I know you intimately. I have a purpose and a plan for your life. And I want you to honor me so that those purpose and those plans can be fulfilled for you. And when we honor him, that is when we see things come together and how that we understand and recognize our destiny and purpose more. And we see again that breakthrough and release come into our life. Think about it. In the natural, we show reverence and honor to people who we consider to be of great importance in this world. Leaders of countries, heads of states, CEOs of company, etc., are shown respect because of their position in this world. How much more should we show reverence to God Almighty? Think about it. We show reverence to these people because of their position, not because of their character, and not because of who they are personally. And sometimes we find out that their character is not that bad, not that good, right? And sometimes we find their, their person is a little off. And when we, things are revealed, we say, wow, you know, we honored them, and yet look at all this that they had in their life. But God's not like a man, right? He has no flaws. He is perfect. And so, again, if we honor human beings who we don't always even know who they are in reality, but we just honor them because of a position or a title, how much more should we honor God Almighty, who is perfect and holy and righteous in every way, and give glory and honor due to him? And as our maker and as our creator. So we want to understand that that's part of worship is to honor God for who he is. The second thing about worship that I want to encourage you this morning is that worship is surrender. See, in worship, I lay down my agenda, my thoughts, and even my rights. It's where I declare all that I am God Everything about me belongs to you, Adonai. In the New Covenant, Yaakov is speaking to a group of believers. And in chapter 4 of his book, he challenges them with this word. You unfaithful believers. He calls them wives, but he's he's talking about the, the congregation there. Don't you know that loving the world is hating God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Or do you suppose the scripture speaks in vain when it says that there is a spirit in us which longs to envy? But the grace he gives is greater, which is why it said God opposes the arrogant, but to the humble he gives grace. So once again, to submit is a place of surrender, to place myself under someone else's authority. It is that place of humility, even as we talked about and honoring. And Yaakov is challenging this congregation and us today, you know, saying that when we place our, ourselves under the authority of something or someone else, we are dishonoring God. We are not surrendering to him. And as I said a few moments ago, we are all worshiping someone. And God wants us to know that instead of other people and other things directing our life, you know, sometimes, again, it could be a person but we also worship other things, a job, a career, 
you know, uh, a, a possession. We may have a car or a house or whatever. And God is saying, you know, surrender to me, not to those things. Okay? In other words, we can get so involved in those things. And again, there's nothing wrong with uh, those things. Those are the blessings from God. But when they take priority over him and we yield ourselves to them and, and our, our energies to them in place of God, it becomes a, a problem. And even though the word for submit here in the Greek is an imperative, and for all of those who weren't good at English grammar, that means it's a command, right? So even though it's a command, surrendering to God is something that you and I have a choice to do. So I, even though God says, surrender and yield to me, because as you do, you know, I will fulfill the destiny and purpose on your life because I created you for a purpose and a destiny. So come and worship me and surrender and yield to me. I have a choice. I don't always choose to do that. And people don't always choose to do that. What are we surrendering in worship? I'm surrendering my past, my present, and my future. I'm surrendering my actions, my attitudes, my words. Again, all of me, all of my life into his hand. It's yielding my will to him. That's what worship is. So when I come in in, in, in this service and it's worship, as I raise my hands up, it's, it's yielding to him, right? Saying, God, I, I'm yours. I, I, I'm yielding and surrendering my life to you to have your way in everything uh, that I do and say. So I was reading an article talking about this concept of surrender, and, and it talks about uh, how 200 years after Messiah, China's Han Dynasty uh, began its conquest of uh, neighboring territories, and they were a pretty ruthless group of people. And uh, during one particular battle, an enemy soldier knew that they were defeated. And so what he did was to strip off part of his shirt and wave it in the air. And that was an act of surrender. And that is what began the tradition of an enemy waving the white flag was from that incident there. And in the first century Rome, where uh, the context of the new covenant, when a Roman soldier was surrendering uh, to his enemy, he would drop his shield. I mean, not drop his shield. He would raise his shield above his head. And because... We've talked about the Roman shield and how it was a great uh, uh, weapon of defense. So when he raised that shield above his head, he was saying, I'm defenseless. My shield's above my head, and I'm surrendering to you. And so God is asking us to surrender to him. But the difference of surrendering to God, it's not an act of defeat on our part. It's an act of freedom, right? So again, the spiritual realm is much different than the natural realm. So in a, in a battle and in the, the natural, when we surrender to someone uh, and submit, sometimes it has a very negative connotation. But God says, when you surrender and you yield to me, it's not defeat, it's freedom. It's liberty for you. And I want to say the hardest thing for most of us to surrender is control. Anyone there with me? Let's spell it out. C-O-N-T. 
T-R-O-L. We hate to surrender control to anyone on this earth, let alone to God. And the reason why is because we feel we know what is best for us. And yet, when I come in to worship God, again, whether here in this service or in my daily time or throughout my day as I'm living my life for him and I am surrendering to him, it is an act that brings me freedom. It is an act that is going to bring that breakthrough and that release into my life that I so desire. But because we as human beings like to be in control, we often resist that. So we will participate in a worship service or we will live our lives to God to a certain extent. But we won't cross over this line here because crossing over means giving up. It means yielding control to God. So I'm good up here. And I will do all this part of worship and laying my life down and and giving my life to God. But when he says to give totally and cross that line, I hesitate as a human being. Because it means he's going to be in total control in my life. But think about it. He's our maker. He's the master designer, as it were. And he created us. And think about things in, in the natural. The person who, who creates or invents something knows that thing much more intimately than any of us. And they know the, the details of how it works. And, and you could be frustrated and trying to figure something out in, 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 in your house. And, and you look, pull out the direction books. And, I mean, that happens in our house a lot. I have a file with every book that goes to everything we have in the house. And when something goes wrong, I'm going to those books. But today they have a lot of pictures, and I'm a, a, a verbal person, so I like step-by-step. Step. So sometimes those pictures don't help me personally. But when you get someone who knows what they're doing, and they, like, know this in and out, or when you get the repairman to come, and he, you know, he, and boom, it's done in five minutes. You're like, wow, and we were working on that for, like, two or three days. Right? Well, that's how it is with God. We, again, we think we know what's going to be best for our lives, so let us be in control and work everything out. But he's our creator. He's our maker. He designed you. As we said in the Haftor, before you were even born, he knew you. He knew you intimately, and he knew his purpose and plan for your life. So yielding and surrendering to him is the best thing that any of us can do because he knows how we were meant to function in life, and he knew what would bring us the greatest sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. So in worship, I'm surrendering control of my life to him. And as I do that, he gives me a fresh perspective First of all, on my life and on him. Then he releases his power into me, which is so much greater than my plans and purposes. Again, think about it. You know, I'm a puny human being, you know, uh, and no matter how great I may think I am and work out and all the other good things I do and my intellect and stuff, uh, my powers are very, very limited. But the God of the universe... When I surrender and yield to him, he releases his power into my life to work and to move 
and to adjust and to do things that far, far surpass anything, anything I could ever do on my own. He gives me his priorities, which will always lead me in the path of success and fulfillment, once again, much better than my own plans could ever do. So worship is a time of surrendering and yielding to him. Third thing I want to share with you is that worship is seeking. In the introduction, I talked about this Greek word for seeking and that it meant to, uh, uh, and it was used of God seeking the true worshipers. But that same word is used for worshipers seeking God. And it means to be intentional, to be diligent, and to have expectation. And Yeshua encourages us as his children in Matthew, Matthew 6, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, seek God. Put him first in your life. And all these things will be given unto you. So what does it mean when it says that I am seeking God, that that's part of my worship? It means that I am being intentional. I have a purpose in mind, and the reason why I am seeking God is not, you know, for the fringe benefits, although they're going to come, because he does promise to bless us as we seek us, even here in this verse, seek me first, and I'll give you all these things. And in context, what were the, were the things that, that he's talking about? You know, food, houses, all the needs that you have in this world. But my intention and my purpose for seeking God is to experience his manifest presence. So I want to be intentional about it because I want to see and experience his manifest presence. And what am I talking about his manifest presence? Because God is everywhere. And we mentioned this again in the first message. He is everywhere because that's who he is. But the manifest presence is when he, he graces us in a tangible, real way and that we can sense that and we can feel that. And sometimes there's even a visual uh, manifestation. In the scriptures we read of how the dedication of the temple and how the cloud descended, right? And the, and the, the Kohanim, they couldn't continue to worship. They fell down because of the glory of God that descended. And in the wilderness, when the children of Israel were being led, it was a cloud, right, by daytime and a pillar of fire. That represented the manifest presence of God. And, and that happens sometimes in a service, and sometimes there's no visual manifestation. I remember on Shavuot, after service, uh, Miss Chris and Lucia told me that they saw up here like the brown haze floating over the you know, over the, the, uh, the platform. That was a visual manifestation of God's presence. Sometimes it's, it's a presence that you can feel, like a weightiness. Like my daughter was saying the other week in worship, she like felt like the weight on her shoulder, and my husband was encouraged, that's God's presence coming upon you. So sometimes it is visible, tangible, and other times it's just you know that he's here. In a very real way. So I'm seeking him because I want to to know him. And I'm diligent about it. That means I'm going to press past any distraction or hindrance. Because I want to get into his presence and I want to know him more. And it means I'm actively seeking him so that I can know him better. 
In the Tanakh, in Divrei uh, Hayyamim Allah, First Chronicles sixteen thirteen, it says, "Seek Adonai and His strength; always seek His presence." There are two different Hebrew words used here in this passage, but they have the same connotation: connotation darshu and bikshu, and it means to discover something new to learn something that we did not previously know. So when we are worshiping, when we are seeking God to know more about God today than we knew yesterday. As I mentioned in my first message, I have known God over 50 years. I was six years old when I first encountered Yeshua. And I made a decision, and as I shared before, I, I, I remember that day. I remember I was in a congregation, and, and someone said, do you want to receive Yeshua as your personal Messiah. And and I walked down to the front, and when I walked back to my seat, these are the thoughts I had as a six-year-old. Wow, I have done something today. And understand what I have done that many adults don't even know. That's how real that experience was for me. And so I have been walking with God for over 50 years, but there's still more I need to know of him. So when I am seeking him, it means I want to learn something new about God that I don't know, that I didn't know yesterday, and that I didn't know uh, a year ago, that I didn't know five years ago. So that's the connotation behind these Hebrew words is I, I want to discover more of God than what I personally know or experience. Think about it. My husband and I celebrated, you know, 25 years of marriage this year. Woo-woo, right? And... We are still discovering more about each other. And even my kids were sharing last night with Sheila and Ellie as they're talking about some of our stories. And and they're like, wow, we just found out some things about mom and dad. They're like hiding these things from us. Well, it's not that we're hiding these things from us, but they don't know us before they were born, right? And so they are getting to know more things about us as they're growing into young adulthood than they knew as little children. So you can be in a relationship with someone for many, many years and still not know everything about them. In fact, I was sharing an incident with my husband uh, this week that I'd never, ever told him about. A woman in the the congregation that my parents started going to when I went away to Bible college, and and I came home during the summers, and and this woman had no children, and, and so I sort of adopted her as a second mom because my mom had six kids, And so just called her mom number two. And she was very supportive. We worked together. uh, I worked in the bakery uh, first summer frying donuts, which my husband said would have been his ideal job. (laughs) That's not mine, you know. I remember once I had to carry 50 pounds of shortening to the front because I couldn't find a a guy to help me. But uh, that's another story. Anyway, uh, But this woman worked in this bakery, so that's how I got to know her. And so that was a part of my life that my husband never, ever knew about, a little story that I told him this this week. And so it is with God. Even though you have been in relationship with him, maybe like me for 50 years, there's still more to discover. So seeking means I'm looking to know more about God than I knew yesterday. And it also has this connotation of wanting to have relationship with God. Again, many of us might know about God here in this nation in particular. You know, many people grow up in a, quote, religious setting. Maybe your parents took you to 
temple, or maybe you were bar mitzvahed, maybe they took you to a congregation, so you, quote, know God intellectually, but you don't really have a personal relationship. Well, that's what seeking God is about. It's seeking to develop and increase your relationship with him. So today, God wants to encourage us as worshipers that we would be those who seek him. He's seeking us, but he wants us to also seek him. And this verse, one thing else about this verse before I share my last point today, it says, when are we to seek him? Always. Seek the Lord always. And that's why I'm trying to help you break out of this mentality that worship is only what takes place here in this sanctuary or in that little quiet time in your day. We need to seek God always. Be in communion with him throughout the day. And the last thing I want to share with you this morning is that worship is intimacy. As I said, the connotation around seeking God is desiring a relationship. And what type of relationship does God want to have with us? It's one of intimacy. And I've shared this in the past because many times people struggle with this concept uh, of being intimate with God. They're uncomfortable with this. Yet this intimate relationship with Adonai is what will bring us the greatest satisfaction and will enhance our personal relationship with others on this earth. For his part, God is ready and willing to invest into a relationship with you and me. Do you understand that? God is waiting. He wants to invest and put into a relationship with you. We're the ones who need to make that commitment to to him. And being intimate, again, means just being close and and having a relationship with him. And intimacy is always focused on the other person. Many of us know the story in the New Covenant in Luke chapter 10 of two sisters, Miriam and Martha. And now they open up their homes to invite Yeshua in. And as the story goes, Martha began immediately to cook and to prepare a meal because here Yeshua the Messiah is. And I shared even in the class this morning, I tend to have a Martha personality. I am one who will just, my checklist increases. I just keep going, taking things. So I'm a Martha personality. It's not a good personality, though, on uh, in many occasions. Miriam, on the other hand, she just sat down right in front of Yeshua at his feet. And she was listening to everything that he was saying. Well, this ticked Martha off, Okay. I know none of us would get ticked off by a sister doing this, but Martha got a little annoyed at Miriam for not helping her. So let's read the dialogue between Martha and Yeshua in Luke chapter 10. But Martha was busy with all the work to be done. So going up to him, Yeshua, she said, Sir, don't you care that my sister has been leaving me to do all the work by myself? However, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are fretting and worrying about so many things, but there is only one thing. Say that with me. One thing. Let's say it again. One thing. Not two things, not five things, not many things. There is one thing that is essential, another one thing that is the most important thing. And Miriam has chosen the right thing, and it won't be taken away from her. You see, it is easy to busy ourselves with good things, even things for God himself, but it is harder to become intimate with him and to spend time with him. I told someone recently that 
I believe relationships are one of the hardest things in life. It's hard to invest yourself into a relationship, really invest yourself. It's, you can be superficial about, about things. And so a lot of us are good, like me, about doing things for others. So, yeah, you know, we can uh, go take care of uh, practical things. And, and, again, not that those things are wrong, but to actually invest in getting to know that person and, and, and developing a relationship, that takes time and effort, and we're not always willing to do that for God. We will work for him, you know. So Martha was working for Yeshua and making him a meal. And again, there's nothing wrong with doing those things. It's the priority of those. She put that over that one thing. Say one thing with me. That one thing that was essential. So we easily get distracted like Martha did. So instead of developing intimacy with God, so you're sitting down to have your devotion and the phone rings or you receive a text message. Of course, you have to look at that text message because God forbid it's an emergency. Yet if all of us scroll through our phones of text messages, how many of those texts are really emergency? But that phone flicks off, you know, and it comes on. You know, sometimes, you know, I'm not always near my phone on Saturday night as we go home. Uh, to tell you, we are like exhausted after day ministry. Uh, I go on the couch, and I usually fall asleep pretty quickly. Uh, uh, and that phone might be by me, but, you know, my family say, it's going off, it's going off. I don't see it sometimes. Or it goes up in my room or in, in, in my purse. But we can be so distracted by things like that. Instead of pressing into his presence. We can allow family members, for those of us who have younger children, I was talking about this you know, in the, again, in the membership class, he's talking about prayer. We can allow our children to be excuses for us. You know, in every season of our life, it's different. When my children were younger, uh, I had to learn how to carve out that time for God because it was harder because they were more demanding than they are today now that they're 19 and 21 years old and they're able to, you know, do things on their own. But when you have a two and a five-year-old and they're wanting your attention all the time, it can be hard, but we don't want to allow them to be an excuse for our seeking God. And I told the story, I think it was Susanna Wesley, who had 12 or 13 kids. She taught her children, whenever she threw an apron over her head, which I know a lot of people don't even know what an apron is, but I have a few, threw the apron over her head, don't, don't bother mom, because mom's seeking God. And we need to not allow our family to become an excuse for why we don't seek his presence. Not only do we struggle with this in our personal times, but often when we come to corporate worship, people are extracted, distracted by things. I've told you this happens to me often. I come in here and I'm ready to worship, but again, because my Martha personality, all these, this list of things that I didn't get done this past week begin to go through my mind and who I might have to talk to afterwards and all these things that I get very distracted and I have to discipline myself to focus in so that I can seek and become closer and more intimate with God. Because, again, that relationship, when it flourishes and grows, that's what each of us desperately need. And what does intimacy produce? It produces life. So our worship should produce life in us and in our situation and in our spirit. So I want to encourage you today that God is calling you 
He's calling each of us to come into his presence. He says, come away with me. Spend time with me. Get to know me better. That is the true essence of worship, building our relationship with Adonai. And as we practice thanksgiving, praise, and worship, what we are doing, as my husband said last week, and again, I've said it several times today, is we are inviting the manifest presence of God into our lives, into our homes, into our sanctuary. And when the manifest presence of God comes, it changes the atmosphere of your home. It changes the atmosphere of your life. And when that atmosphere is changed in your home, it changes in the congregation, then into the community. Then again, it begins to change the, the culture. We can actually change the culture around us because we have invited and are now living in the manifest presence of God. And Rabbi Michael will share more about that manifest presence of God that is ushered in and all that it brings into our lives. Again, breakthrough, release, the supernatural. But that is the reason for worship. And as I encourage you last week, I'm going to tell you again today, don't be late for the worship service. Get here early. Enter in. Worship at home. Again, live a lifestyle of worship so that you are ready to come in and to encounter him, to build that throne for God because it's his manifest presence that you need, I'm telling you, and I need, this congregation needs, but we need to build that throne so that he can manifest his presence and that presence will totally, utterly change you, your life for the good. Amen? Before I close here with the ironic benediction, I just want to give us opportunity and ask us all to stand here. You've been sitting for a while. And I'm just going to close with a prayer of committal to God. We talked about the relationship with God. And as I said at one point, you may know a lot about God. Uh, as a child, you may have been you know, exposed to God again, brought to a synagogue, had a bar mitzvah, uh, you know, or to taken to a, a, another type of congregation, a non-Jewish congregation. But you've never really experienced a personal relationship with God. Well, I want to tell you, you're not here by accident, whether you come here on a regular basis or this is the first time you're here today, because God wants to have relationship with each one of us. And that relationship uh, begins through accepting the Messiah, Yeshua, which is what Hillary and Sheila did four years ago, as they embraced Yeshua as their Messiah, and he changed their lives for the good, right? So often, Sheila says to me, I'm so grateful for God bringing me here and his presence here. So I want to give you that opportunity. Again, it's the beginning of the relationship, and you can then join me and my husband and others as we press in to seek him more. So how does that happen? It acknowledges that there's nothing you can do on your own to enter into that relationship because there's something called sin, and all of us have sin in our life, and that sin is a blockage between us and God. But the good news is Yeshua came down, from heaven, and he took that sin upon him and removed it so that now we have access to have a relationship with God. But what we need to do is put our trust in him and say, God, I believe in you, and I receive you so that I can enter into this relationship. So that's a prayer we're going to pray. If you prayed it for the first time or you renew in a commitment, as you walk out, my husband and I will be in the back. Share that with us because we would like to encourage you. But I want to ask everyone to pray this prayer with me. Dear God, Thank you for bringing me here today. I want to have a relationship with you. I cannot do it on my own. 
I have sinned, and there's nothing I can do about that sin. But thank you that you sent Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel, and the Savior of the world, to die for my sins. Today I choose to accept Yeshua and what he did on the tree of sacrifice to atone for my sins so that I can now know you more intimately. Amen. Amen. I tell you, that's the best prayer you could ever pray. As I said, I prayed a prayer similar to that when I was six years old, and my life was forever, ever changed. And you may say, well, what are you, how bad were you at six years old? That was between kindergarten and first grade. I know the difference between me and kindergarten and first grade. I'm telling you, God saved me just in time. There's a song we talk about. For me, six years old was just in time. And I can tell you stories about extended family cousins and things that that would have been my life if God hadn't got hold of me and my parents. They came to faith right around the same time. And my family was set apart from the rest of my cousins and things who unfortunately you know, did not know God for many, many years of their life. So it's the best prayer you've ever prayed. And we're here to help you, as Rena said earlier, to get from where you are to where God wants you to be. And I'm here to tell you that that's in a personal, intimate relationship with him. So talk to my husband and I. I want to close now with the ironic benediction. We'll be meeting in a half hour for our afternoon hour of prayer. So in a half hour from now, which will be right around 1.15, we'll come back together in the sanctuary and have a time of prayer, seeking God, uh, praying for needs, etc. So I'm going to close with the ironic benediction. May Adonai bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you and show you his favor. May Adonai lift up his face towards you and give you peace. May you walk in the peace of God Almighty. May you walk in his joy. May you be a true worshiper and grow in your relationship with Adonai. God bless you. Shabbat Shalom.